information, uh, Dr. Jackson had something really interesting uh, to add and was starting to add it. And I said, well, why don't we just record it <laughs> and we can add it as a, this will be a bonus feature, uh, right? This be, or, or maybe it will go in the director's cut. I, I don't know. So uh, Dr. Jackson, what was the interesting fact you wanted to, to share with us? Oh, uh, one other thing that I wanted to kind of share with your students is like, what, one way that I just kind of figured they might be able to kind of get started with doing some of this local history work, right? Um, is just to kind of walk around and, and kind of look at the architecture of various sites, um, you know, whether at nearby uh, in Lander, uh, at Lander or, or, you know, in the case of Newberry. Uh, and I, I mentioned this because I was fortunate a few years back, and I, I don't really kind of publicize this because I didn't finish this project, but one of the really cool experiences I had in grad school was uh, I was employed at uh, uh, South Carolina Educational Television. And we did this project uh, at Hobgaw Barony called uh, Between the Waters. And I, I don't claim this project because I didn't finish it. But one of the experiences that I had there was uh, we were kind of putting this website together. And one of the things that we did was we started documenting the history of African-American, these extant African-American villages on this plantation. I mean, it's a six. 15,000 acre former rice plantation zoned by Bernard Baruch. Um, and we wanted to kind of closely document the story of you know, black folks who sustained this property over successive generations. And so I mentioned architecture because what was really cool about these sites is that they had these extant slave dwellings uh, that were kind of on the property. And we started kind of researching uh, this history. Now, Thankfully, uh, the former um, uh, lead researcher on site, uh, Lee Brockington, she's now retired, but she had done a lot of this work before we got there. But, you know, we started connecting with the descendants of the folks who had lived on on this property, on these properties. And so one of the dwellings uh, belonged to a, a family of last name McClary. And uh, the patriarch of the family at the time, uh, he was still living, uh, Robert McClary. And uh, he had left Hobcaw uh, in his uh, teenage years, went to Detroit, became a firefighter, a very prominent uh, local citizen uh, in a city in Michigan. Uh, and so he came back and we, we kind of did an oral history with him and, and, and he brought his whole family back. And, you know, he had all, uh, all of his daughters there. He had a couple of grandkids with him when he visited. We did this fantastic weekend uh, where he and his family came and others uh, who were kind of descendants of the black families that lived on that property. Uh, but what, what struck me was, you know, these dwellings were in use well into the 50s, right? I mean, we're talking about the last African-American family left Hobcaw in the mid-1950s, uh, right around Brown, right around the time the Brown decision was rendered. So think about this. You have these really kind of, these really amazing, priceless, uh, extant dwellings that stretch all the way back to uh, the antebellum period uh, that tell the story of black people on the, uh, on these, uh, in these villages through the Cold War. <laughs> so, you know, I, I mentioned buildings because they, they really give us kind of opportunities for this kind of local historic research that connects with people, right? Um, the other interesting experience that I had there, though, was I slept in one of these dwellings. Oh, wow. 
And because uh, as part of this weekend, we had uh, Joe McGill, who does a phenomenal project, Slave Dwelling Project. If you ever get a chance to to look it up, I mean, you, you've got to get a get a glimpse of what this guy's done over the last decade. I mean, he's just really brought renewed attention to these kind of sometimes endangered spaces that really tell the history of slavery in a different way. Uh, and and I can't I can say like sleeping in the dwelling that belonged to Laura Carr, who was a kind of conjurer oh, uh, wow. in Friendfield Village. We slept in her dwelling, spent the night. It was far and away the most informative experience I had had uh, about what it was like to to be enslaved. Mm. You know, to at least have a glimpse into that experience. Because I mean, you're talking about a building which is you know, no bigger than my office that I'm sitting in now. Um, if that, I mean, it might, might, my office may actually be bigger. Um, I mean, compare it to like half of your bedroom right. and you're in pitch black darkness. The door, the door is not locked. There is, there are cracks in the wood and underneath the door, allowing anything and everything to crawl underneath. I mean, you're talking about a really tough situation. I mean, this was in I'm if I'm not, I'm not mistaken, this was in the the early winter too, so it was pretty chilly. Right. Um, and so, you know, getting that, you know, is only possible by preserving these these excellent spaces, right? Uh, you know, being able to share that educational experience with the few people who were there with us, and and Joe does these larger sleepouts um, where where students are able to join him. Um, you know, it's just one example of what's possible when you you kind of do public history well, right? Um, you know, so if if you're you know from a, a specific kind of town and you're looking for a way to sink your teeth into this work, start looking around at what's still left, right? Start looking for the spaces uh, that that might be able to help tell uh, these stories, um, and, or look at what's missing, um, because you know there's some fantastic public history projects that are that are kind of recreating public spaces as they once were. Um, I'm thinking of the the Chinatown project that New York Times did, right, where they overlaid these historical photographs on top of modern day Chinatown to give people a flavor for how the place has changed. Uh, so there are uh, some interesting stories on kind of slavery and Jim Crow and gentrification that are only possible through public history, I think. Um, mm -hmm. You know, doing the work that we do on the ground uh, to, to, you know, rediscover these places that have been lost uh, or preserve those that we still have. So if you're looking for a way to kind of sink your teeth into this work, when you go home, ask around, get a sense of what's missing, get a sense of where the black business districts might've been, get a sense of where uh, these spaces that have been kind of gentrified, you know, are, right? Because I think that's where you might be able to do some of that that work on your own or or as a major project that you can move forward with professionally. So just wanted to share that. Uh, jumped out when we were kind of talking, but I did want to kind of give folks a sense of something a little more technical that they might be able to grasp onto. 